0: Yeah, Kira, I said,
1: him up.
2: Tell me there are pictures of this (laughs) woofle.
1: And also, it looks like he's posting for (laughs) Abercrombie. It's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf.
0: Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Rewatch watch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kate Colvin, and I'm joined by...
2: Will Wallace.
1: And Calusa Mullis.
0: Every week, we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time. And this week, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 19, Latharia Vulpina. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, Alpha and Beta. The beta section is for first-timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, Alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series, as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the alpha and beta sections. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives, like early access to episodes, full moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash rtbhpodcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rtbhpodcast and Tumblr and TikTok at return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at beaconhills at gmail.com.
2: This week's episode is titled Lotharia Vulpina. It was written by Jeff Davis and directed by Russell Mulcahy. In it, Kira diffuses the electrocution hazard from the previous episode, though it's too late for Isaac, who languishes at the hospital. Stiles shows up after being missing for two days, just in time for Coach to fall victim to one of the Nogitsune's traps. Derek and Chris find themselves framed and stuck at the Sheriff's Station during a particularly dangerous time. Allison accompanies Lydia to a meeting with Peter, where Lydia hones her powers and learns a secret. Scott and the twins rush to mitigate the Nogitsune's damage, always finding themselves a step behind. Deaton obtains a rare weapon, though it might not be enough. To continue the fight, Nishiko creates more Oni.
1: Our favorite quote for this week comes from one of my absolute favorite characters, Boyd Stiles. Boyd Stiles says, You should have done your reading, Scott. See, a Nikitsune feeds off chaos, strife, and pain. This morning you took it from Isaac, then you took it from Coach, and then from a dying deputy. All that pain, you've taken it all. Now, give it to me. And it's sexy as hell. I was going to say chilling, but... <laughs> Honorable mention goes to the conversation between... Peter and Allison. Peter to Lydia says, I can help you focus your hearing. Allison says, but you want something in return. Peter says, no, I'm dedicating my life to helping narcissistic teenage girls. Of course, I want something in return, Peter.
0: He, he's Peter. Of course, I want something in return has got to be Peter's
1: tagline as a character. It is. Right. And our last honorable mention comes from Noshiko saying, you hit them in a book. Couldn't you find something more secure? And Ken says, how many high school students do you know who would willingly open a book? And he's right. Wow. It's Lydia and no one else.
0: Burn for all high school students.
1: Maybe Danny. Danny Danny
2: reads books.
1: He reads. Styles reads. He would just open that. Styles reads WikiLeaks. I feel like (laughs) he's over there falling down the rabbit holes. I feel like Danny would open the book and just be like, nope. Close it, put it back up, because he knows what to do with those situations. That's right,
0: that's right. He's like, not my business, and moves along. And that's (laughs) how you stay alive in Beacon Hills, folks.
2: That's how you do it.
0: The episode starts at the home of Yakuza Mafioso Ikeda in Japan. Ikeda and his colleagues await a veterinarian for his pet wolf, Yuki, who is sick.
2: Uh, wrangling this doggo was very hard it would not stay lying down there's a shot where it's breathing and it's actually a still image that we manipulated to look like it's chest is rising and falling
1: what no way
2: it just would not do what it was supposed to do
1: it would not breathe on command
2: oh yeah it just kept holding its breath like a bitch
1: (laughs) (laughs) and I write Ikeda berates his colleagues about the lateness of the veterinarian until the man in question arrives Alan Deaton Like by Yakuza guards. What about us?
0: First of all, look at the symbol on the wall behind Deaton. Why is it that every group seems to have some sort of a Triskelion? We've got the Hales with a simple but elegant spiral Triskelion, the Alpha Pack with the Nazi Triskelion, and now the Yakuza cells swooping droplet-like Triskelion shape, almost like a logo on this wall.
2: In this universe, groups are very into labeling their things.
0: But like... With the same label?
2: Okay, I didn't say they were creative groups.
0: (laughs) Uh, Fair enough. But second of all, I gotta say, Deaton, the flip collar makes you look like a douche.
2: Oh, thank God the doctor's here. I'm sure he'll give a clear and concise prognosis. He will not. Deaton apologizes for his tardiness and examines Yuki.
0: Okay, what is he doing to Yuki's face in this scene? That was so weird. I know, right?
2: It's how he makes a connection with the animal.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: Deaton asks Ikeda whether there are any toxic plants that Yuki could have gotten into, specifically a bright green lichen. Ikeda grows uncomfortable.
2: Still, Deaton convinces a reluctant Ikeda to show him where such a plant grows nearby so that he can take a sample.
0: Okay, I'm sorry to do a total well actually, but lichen aren't plants, okay? They're made of fungi and bacteria or protists. No plants involved.
2: The only neon green plants around here are the ones... <laughs> I forgot about this. The only neon plants around here are the ones that Predator bled on.
0: Well, I can't get over how much you can't read your own jokes without stopping right. to laugh. <laughs>
2: I'm f- hilarious.
1: What a guy. It's
2: <laughs> like, like just experiencing it all again.
1: I will say Deaton's a veterinarian, Kate. He's not a botanist.
0: Uh, that's That's true. Damn it, man. I'm a doctor, <laughs> not a botanist. <laughs>
1: Ikeda tries to get one of his colleagues to take Deaton out into the garden to see the lichen, but they're all too superstitious to obey.
0: I kind of wish we had gotten subtitles for when Ikeda was speaking Japanese. I know the exact content wasn't important narratively because we can intuit the gist of what he was saying, but it seemed like Deaton spoke Japanese, so it feels like we should understand as much about what's going on as he does because he's our link in the scene. We should be with Deaton.
2: Ikeda takes Deaton to the garden himself.
1: It's the same one where Chris Argent recalled the Oni having attacked a group of Yakuza and a, and killed a man possessed by Nogitsune.
2: There's our Japanese garden set.
1: Worth every penny. Oh, yeah. Deaton
0: finds the lichen, but admits to Ikeda that it's unlikely Yuki would have come into this garden. He could probably sense what happened here to Ikeda's father and the Nogitsune possessing him. Ikeda immediately points his gun at Deaton.
1: Unfazed, Deaton says this lichen is called Latharia vulpina, or wolf lichen, historically used to poison wolves and foxes.
0: After all, vulpina or vulpine means relating to a fox. Lupine refers to a
1: wolf. In fact, there's tails, the Pokemon that has a lot of the nickets and a-trades, and as the name suggests, nine tails. that's the evolution of Vulpix. Oh,
0: interesting. I forgot that that's what that was called. Nice.
1: I'm here for all sorts of Pokemon trivia. It's, nice. its first gen and nothing else.
2: <laughs> People used to put out meat with crushed glass and lichen in it. The glass perforated the intestines so the vulpinic acid reached the internal organs faster.
1: Well, that's f- awful.
0: Yeah. Deaton calmly explains that he gave Yuki a paralytic agent. The same one he put on the jar Ikeda is holding. Kanima venom.
1: That's mean. You are bad, bad fit. I mean, it's true to keep a wolf as a pet, but I do admire Ikeda's dedication to keeping him healthy. And don't you have to take that oath of do no harm, Dean To you know,
0: puppies. He plays fast and loose with that shit.
2: <laughs> He's a vet. He didn't say do no harm to human beings.
0: Yeah, well, I, just I said think her. I think her
1: point is because
0: oh, to the
2: animal. <laughs> I don't yeah, care what <laughs> he
1: does to humans. <laughs> I'm talking about animals. Do no harm to animals, sir.
2: Ikeda collapses. Deaton pries the jar from Makeda's hand and uses it to hold a sample of the lichen.
1: This particular Lotharia vulpina grew from the blood of a Nigitsune, and Deaton is going to use it to poison the Nigitsune in a teenage boy. Why didn't he take all of the lichen? It would have been really awkward to have 10 minutes out there trying to take it all. Yeah,
0: right. Just like stuffing it down, trying to get more in that jar.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So if they use Lotharia vulpina to poison a werewolf, is it lichen lichen?
1: (laughs) Ha ha! Nice job. So, Jeff actually wrote this episode, it seems like. So, there were not a lot of changes from the original draft that was posted. But, Will did share some of the initial notes that you guys took to write the episode. And there were several different teasers suggested. One was We open on Styles in the waiting room of a secure mental facility. A fly emerges from his mouth and goes down the hall under a door into a cell, crawling into a sleeping barrow's ear. This is a flashback. We follow void styles styles unlocks the chemistry closet writes kira gets electrocuted with the bat cuts the cable at the top of the hospital and then does something strange something we haven't seen yet he climbs down through the coyote den into a cave deeper down putting on oxygen mask and comes to a big natural gas line which he opens up with a hissing sound or he goes To a hospital room where Barrow is in a coma and puts a wrapped birthday present next to the bed. Or we end up with Styles being electrocuted with a bat and standing up again, now with silver eyes and silver fangs. The full void.
2: Yeah, if you look at all of the notes that I took while being the assistant on the show, the word I used the most was or. (laughs) because there are so many ideas being thrown out that I'm typing them as fast as I can and I want to get them all. So it's just, this happens or this happens or this happens, you know. There's like
1: six more possible teasers that are down I put in the spoiler alpha section. Wow. But those that's the only changes to the episode was like the other possible things because Jeff just wrote it perfectly the first time around, it seems like.
2: He's good at that. I mean, that's how writing an episode goes where it's just what we call the blue sky phase where it's just there are no bad ideas anything you think is interesting just throw out and we write it all down and we just start figuring out what the episode is and then we start narrowing it down to what the scenes actually need to be for one single episode of all the notes I took would be like 40 or 50 pages of just notes you know of just basically stream of consciousness as all the writers are throwing everything out and you gotta you know be able to look back on it and be like hey didn't we talk about something you gotta be able to search for it yeah. And remember what it was, because Jeff was very good about didn't, we, you know, he'd be like, didn't we like yesterday or last week say something about this or that? And it's like, oh, oh Apple F. Uh, let's see if I can find <laughs> this, you know. So that's how you do it.
1: Hear me out. Werewolf puppet.
2: After the teaser, we jump back with Kira, who stands frozen outside the hospital as an electrified wire swings right at her.
1: Weird, we opened on Deaton instead of the very exciting thing that was happening at the end of the last episode.
2: No, you've got to make them want more. You end an act out on something exciting and dramatic, and then you come back on the next act with another storyline, and the audience is like, No, I want to know what happened with the other thing. Got to keep them wanting more.
0: Kira manages to dodge the swinging wire, but an ambulance driver isn't so lucky. The ambulance crashes into a hydrant, flooding the lot with water. When the end of the live wire lands in the water, Kira realizes it's a huge electrocution hazard. She tries to warn everyone in the area to stay away. The ambulance driver still ends up electrocuted, as does Isaac when he runs in to save Allison.
1: He didn't have to step into the water after he pushed her out of the way. He knows that, right?
2: I think he was just rushing across the lot to get to Allison.
1: Okay, it looked like he stepped into it. It did, but yeah, I think they're saying it was the momentum.
2: Yeah, the red-headed woman definitely stepped into it.
1: And in the script actually clarified, saying that he picks her up and throws her just as, like, the water does spread to where he's at. Gotcha. So it's not that he steps oh, in, okay. it just, like, hits him. Yeah. As Derek and Scott rush onto the scene, is Derek putting his arm out to keep Scott from stepping into the electrified water, soccer mom style, he <laughs> <Jared laughs> runs up onto a car, backflips off of it, and grabs the wire barehanded.
0: Oh, that stunt with the car and the backflip looked so sick.
1: Yeah, but then she put the live wire in her mouth and it gets weird. (laughs) (laughs) She totally did not need that backflip. She spent too much time with Derek in that previous episode.
2: I am very anti unnecessary flipping, except when when Kira does it. I'm not. I just (laughs) like it.
0: I just like how it looks. I don't, I'm going to go with the Teen Wolf credo of because it looks dope as.
2: I think at least in this scene, the idea behind it is she's doing something unexpected to herself. You know, like when Derek backflips into a scene, he's just showing off. Because, I mean, I would, too, if I looked like Derek. Um, but she is doing something that she doesn't realize she can do. And so, like, I think when she lands, she's kind of, like, surprised with herself and grabs the the wire. And...
1: How f- cool am
0: I now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kira's eyes glow orange as she absorbs the electricity. Her mother, Noshiko, and others arrive on the scene... All but Nashiko terrified.
1: All out in the open with all those people there.
2: I love the color of her fox eyes.
0: And she said she looked like a demon from hell. Lies, you are a pretty little fox.
2: Oh, yes. <laughs> Derek goes to help Isaac and discovers that Isaac isn't breathing.
0: Then we jump ahead. The events of the interim delivered only in flashes. Kira's mother telling her that now isn't the time for anyone to see her like that. Parrish informing Stalinsky that witnesses saw Styles's jeep leaving the hospital. Raphael telling deputies that it looks like the wire was cut in an act of deliberate sabotage. Derek telling Scott that he needs to tell Stalinski what's really going on with Styles. Scott wakes up and goes into the dining room with Melissa.
1: Why are you flashing back right now? You guys, it's like you did Frayed and you thought, let's do this all the time.
2: Yeah, that's because Jeff likes to move forward instead of things being in super real time.
0: What? Stuff on Teen Wolf is real time, like, all the time.
2: Okay, yes, a lot of it is real time because of how these events stretch out, but he also likes to speed forward and then reveal information later.
0: I mean, in this case, it would have been literally the same if he hadn't been flashing back outside of the tunnel vision flashback filter. It just would have been a montage instead of jumping ahead and montaging as a flashback.
2: Maybe. I feel like all these events presented outside of a flashback might have felt like they needed to be full scenes instead of just the one line of dialogue being remembered.
1: You could have montaged it exactly the same. What you're describing is a montage. A regular montage. This makes me feel like I've missed something in a previous episode.
0: Right, you could just as easily show the montage and then show Scott waking up exhausted after all that's happened. Exactly the same, except you don't show Scott waking up first. You show the montage, no flashback filter, and then show him waking up. Done.
1: And it feels like a particularly confusing move in this instance, because in the teaser, we had flashbacks to scenes that we had seen in the previous episode. So now you've got flashbacks to remind us of things we already know, and flashbacks to show us things we don't know yet. That makes it really easy to feel like we're missing something here. Even if
0: you don't like the regular montage idea, well, I don't think there's any information in there that we couldn't have embedded in other scenes, scenes that we do have in this episode already. We don't need the repetition of Derek saying Isaac isn't breathing. We just saw that. We don't really need Noshiko telling Kira not to show herself because it was implied when it cut to Noshiko. We could lengthen that and leave it to visual storytelling instead of just telling. Or just add that to the next scene involving Noshiko and Kira. Either way, put the info about Styles' Jeep in the scene with Melissa when they're already talking about Styles disappearing again. Put the information about the wire being cut into the next scene involving law enforcement, and put Derek's dialogue in the next scene with Derek and Scott. Just no more unnecessary flashbacks.
2: Well said.
1: Melissa informs him that there's no news of Styles and it's now past the 48 hour mark.
2: Okay, I think maybe that's why the flashback is there, because they want Styles to have already been gone for a couple of days.
0: But we don't need the montage to accomplish that. Melissa's comments explain that already. She says it's
1: past the 48 hour mark.
2: That's true.
1: He's really defending these montages or these flashbacks for no apparent reason.
2: We wrapped him in rejuvenating scarves, so it's in God's hands now.
1: At the sheriff's station, Stolinsky reads a text from Styles. Am OK. Please don't look for me. Be back soon. Hey, it's
2: their first text. Aw,
1: it's adorable.
0: <laughs> While Parrish brings in some forms for Stalinsky to
1: sign, Raphael comes in too. I have something shitty to say to you, I can only assume.
3: <laughs> mm.
2: He asks if Stalinsky has had any trouble with Yakuza, specifically a man named Katashi.
1: Muss and Scott find Allison dozing at the hospital. Allison said she's had to wait. They won't let her see Isaac because she isn't family, even though she explained he doesn't have any. Well, I feel like she should have just been, I'm pregnant with his unborn child. <laughs> so I'm technically I have either.
0: his biological family yeah. inside me. Yeah,
1: come on now. <laughs>
2: she just gives birth to like an Angora scarf or something.
1: So committed to scarf jokes. He is.
0: He loves the scarf jokes so much. Hey,
2: hey, Isaac has big love for scarves, and I got big love for scarf jokes. Melissa, affronted, says that Isaac has them. Also, Melissa has a key card. She lets them into Isaac's room. Nice. That room is also the morgue, if you look closely.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, uh, don't have to transport him if this all goes south.
2: Exactly. Oh,
1: no. <laughs> Isaac is unconscious and hooked up to machines. Derek's
0: been electrocuted like a hundred thousand times. How come he did so much better?
1: Uh, Derek's built up an immunity. He answered right there. Your own question. Sad face.
2: In this shot, Isaac looks like he's shifted.
1: It's a burn. I thought the same thing when it had the flash of him on a gurney.
2: Scott and Allison hold hands.
0: Our boyfriend is
1: hospitalized. Oh no. But Scott and Allison are surprised Isaac hasn't started healing yet. Scott takes some of Isaac's pain. Allison asks how they're going to get the Day out of Styles so things like this stop happening. All Scott can say is that he's working on it.
0: Do we get an explanation for why Isaac hasn't started healing? No,
1: I don't think so. Nope. So the, so the, <laughs> Styles just the boy Styles keeps going back in there, look, electrocuting him like again, again, like yeah, every, like hour.
2: <laughs> no one <laughs> noticed. At school, Kira tells Scott more about kitsune. They're tricksters and tend to not get caught up in things like right and wrong. If you offend in a kitsune, it will react badly. This one has really, really been offended.
0: And speaking of offensive, elsewhere in the school, Coach tells the cross-country team that if anyone sees Styles, they should contact a teacher. He also insists they all sign a card for Isaac, and all these losers better leave a profound and moving message. Danny volunteers to go first, and Coach congratulates him, and tells him to keep it PG.
2: Danny just writes, love Danny, and everyone's like, oh, oh God, he's such a wordsmith. Oh
1: my God, that's so beautiful.
2: It's just, it's just the best. He really gets me.
1: Meanwhile, the appropriateness monitor assigned to coach blows whistle and says, no, no coach, you can't call your students losers. Remember, rule number one.
2: (laughs) Yep. Like I said, speaking of offensive. Scott and the twins hear one of Chris's emitters. The sound seems to be coming from the school basement.
1: When they get down to the basement. They find Styles holding an emitter. He swears that it's really him, but this doesn't dissuade the twins from attacking him until Scott lays down the law as an alpha, the alpha law, if you will.
2: That's the <laughs> wolfy equivalent of a spray bottle.
1: <laughs> Styles tells Scott that he doesn't know where he's been
0: or what he's been doing for the last two days. He has a blueprint of the hospital's electrical wiring marked up in Stiles' handwriting. This is how he knows that he caused the accident. And he thinks he's been up to something worse, too.
2: In a school hallway, Lydia is shocked and angry when she sees Peter talking to her mother.
1: He really gets around with the moms in town. He has a type. True. I love Lydia's hair here.
2: Do not date him, Mom.
0: As soon as Peter leaves, Lydia demands why her mother was talking to him. Natalie tells her that he's from the health department, which is scheduling hearing tests with students. Lydia wonders if there might be a deeper meaning to the fact that he was talking about hearing.
1: Natalie says the man gave her his card, but when Lydia looks at it, it's just Peter's phone number. Natalie's delighted that she's still got it.
0: Obviously, I feel sorry for Lydia here, but it is fun seeing her mom feeling herself.
2: Yep, yeah, Susan Walters is bringing it.
1: And Natalie got her groove back.
2: <laughs> uh,
0: Styles shows the others the rest of what he has, hoping they can piece together the Nogitsune's larger plan. Scott finds a map of the cross-country trail marked with the movement of the Tate car from the night Malia's family died. In other words, the trail where Mr. Tate put the steel-jawed traps.
1: The cross-country team is running on that trail right now, led by Kira. Yeah, Kira, I said f*** him up!
2: Chris returns to his apartment to find it open.
1: Man, everyone wants to look cool getting out of an elevator on the show. It worked.
2: <laughs> he like looks up and nobody's there and he's like, damn it.
1: I'm going to go back in, try again.
2: <laughs> I'm just going to stand here until someone comes in. Right. I mean, it works for Derek. He just stands around until there's someone there to see how cool he looks.
1: Hey, he's being useful when
0: he does that. All right. If he hadn't been doing that, who would have slid coolly into Scott's house to defend him from the Oni? Without breaking any windows, looking at you, Alpha twins, or going
1: back further to stop him from killing Allison and Jackson.
2: That's true.
0: That's why Styles made him the king of the chessboard.
1: Oh. Chris draws his gun and finds Derek in his apartment, demanding to know why he left an emitter at Derek's loft.
0: Chris says he didn't. He spent all his time looking for Styles without luck. Derek says
1: it's the same for him. So that means. Boyd styles is up in there going through derek shin leaving emitters right
2: Yep. Mm-hmm. derek asks what chris will do if he finds styles
1: oh, i love this me too Aww. he's
0: so clearly being like are you gonna kill him
2: are you gonna kill my boyfriend i mean my friend i, I, I mean styles <laughs>
1: <Right>? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want to be like super obvious about like oh yeah i totally care he
2: just right really, like,
1: like casually like Like, if you do find him, like, so what's your plan of action? Not that I care. I
0: totally don't care. I fully don't. But like, what is it? (laughs) Like, I don't care if he dies, but like, you're not going to kill him, right? I don't care, but you're not, right? I mean, don't, but I don't care, but
2: don't.
1: But like, I'll kill you if you do. I mean, what? (laughs) Who said that? Chris says that what he will do depends on which styles he finds.
2: Fearing for the safety of the cross-country team, Scott, the twins, and Styles go to the running trail. Styles talks to Coach.
0: Chris finds that his safe has been broken into. Inside, he finds the hundred and fifty thousand dollars in Katashi's money, which Chris never took. It was planted. At just that moment, Raphael comes in and shows them the silver finger. Police took off Katashi's dead body.
1: what How do they work?
0: Yeah, I am really curious how the police made the connection to Argent. Side there was eye. just a uh,
2: there was just like a note on the body. They said he totally deserved it. This is not Chris Argent writing this. I promise. Do not come to my apartment where I am currently now holding a briefcase of money.
1: Winky
0: face. Well, we do know from <laughs> we, we do know from last season that apparently all it took to break into the Argent apartment was to have the name Argent spray painted on an elevator which is definitely not how warrants work folks like you can't just spray paint somebody's name somewhere and expect the police to show up at that person's house not just show up but actually go in what's your probable cause son
3: yeah
1: also i don't think warrants count when you're just like chilling there i think you can go and search stuff and then leave i don't think you can just like hang out
2: yeah
0: police overreach
1: Ethan tackles Danny to keep him from running into a trap and disguises it by simply saying he misses Danny. This is explanation enough for Danny, and they make out because they're both very attractive people.
2: That's Mm -hmm. what attractive people do. Yeah. Scott pulls a similar move with Kira, grabbing her and spinning her around to absorb the momentum.
0: That looks great.
2: Mm, So good.
1: One thing that was in the original script that I think they kind of cut out was that it seemed like she wasn't sure entirely sure she'd be able to stop on her own.
2: I remember that. Really?
1: Yeah.
0: hmm Oh, wow. That's
2: it's interesting. Like, I'm going
1: so fast. Oh, wait. I don't know that I do to stop. <laughs> Where are the brakes on this thing? <laughs> Along with Styles, they managed to get everyone to stop running. Styles finds a massive chain, the kind that would go on a trap, but not the trap itself.
2: Coach gives a sarcastic slow clap, but his derision ends abruptly when he steps onto a tripwire that sends an arrow into his stomach.
1: Well, I guess that's instant karma for that slow clap. Meanwhile, Allison and
0: Lydia approach the loft.
2: That's such a cool effect shot.
1: What's the effect shot?
2: The giant stairwell leading down multiple floors. That's... Mm. None of that's there. That's his digital map painting.
1: Allison is hesitant to talk to Peter at all. Lydia says he's the only one offering her help in figuring out how to use her powers. And after the colossal failure at Eichen House, she's desperate enough to want that.
0: Alice encounters that Peter doesn't offer help, only a chance to be manipulated by him so he can get what he wants.
2: Lydia says that in that case, they might as well find out what he wants.
0: They open the door to the loft to find Peter standing in front of the loft's massive window.
2: Do you know how long I've been standing here?
1: It's unrelated. He actually just wanted to see when his DoorDash pulls up.
2: (laughs) You're not the ramen I ordered.
1: It's Taco Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) On the running trail, a frantic coach demands that they get the arrow out of him. But you're not supposed to do that, right, Kate?
0: That's right. Don't pull a projectile out of a wound. Wait for a medical professional to do it. Otherwise, you'll just bleed out faster.
1: Got all your legal and health advice from this podcast. (laughs)
2: There you go. Finally, coach passes out. Luckily, an ambulance arrives.
1: At the sheriff's
0: station, Chris and Derek are handcuffed to a bench. Chris tries to figure out why Styles would frame them for murder. Derek says he didn't think Styles was smart enough to do that.
1: All mean. Rude and untrue. If anyone could set you up for murder, it would be Styles. He for has sure. totally actually done that. <laughs> Him and Scott.
2: That's true. Yep. Chris instructs Derek to say that he agrees to be represented by the same lawyer as Chris. Derek is resistant, but Chris says that it's just to buy them time so he can figure out the bigger picture.
0: At the loft, Peter tries to get Allison to leave. Of course, Lydia has no intention of being alone with him again after he nearly killed her.
1: Peter claims he had no intention of killing her. He was biting her to make her his backup plan, with the ad bonus of awakening her banshee abilities because he's overall such a great guy.
0: You didn't have to hurt her so badly she almost bled to death, you asshole. That was just extra shitty, on top of everything else that was shitty about what he did. He could have just bitten her nice and clean-like, the way Derek did to his betas.
2: Allison brings up how Peter brainwashed Lydia and used her to come back from the dead. Peter claims he did so in order to come back and help her master her powers. Allison pronounces him insane and prepares for them to leave.
1: Yeah, he's not insane. He's manipulative. He's
0: insane for thinking they'd believe that
1: bullshit. Before they can get out of there, Peter explains to Lydia that the scream isn't what gives her power. It's what drowns out the noise so she can focus her hearing on the important things. He says he can help Lydia focus her hearing.
0: Allison guesses that he wants something in return.
2: Peter says, of course he does. He's not dedicating his life to helping narcissistic teenage girls.
0: Narcissistic! What a remarkable thing for Peter to say!
2: You uh, you uh, you pro- you projecting there, buddy? Just a little bit.
0: To punctuate his point, Peter opens the box containing Talia's claws and pours them out onto the table.
1: You guys already did the Yahtzee shot with the nails once. I feel like you only get the one.
2: I beg to differ, and apparently, so does the show.
1: While Styles reunites with his dad, Ethan shows Scott that the bag Styles had—the one with the blueprints and all the materials for the and tricks, contains a roll of wrapping paper. It's the same one used for Coach's birthday present.
0: This makes Scott think there could be a shrapnel bomb on a Beacon Hills high school bus, mimicking Barrow's past MO. After receiving the warning, Ken rushes to a school bus where a student had found a wrapped gift. The rest of the students have been evacuated, but the student in question, Jared, was told not to move.
2: Tom Choi!
0: In the house, as Will likes
1: to say.
2: I do! <laughs> ken boards the bus and talks to jared who says he didn't know what it was when he picked it up
1: i just thought someone remembered my birthday you that or it's just jared's stick in a box
2: wow <laughs> my god
1: peter explains that he wants lydia to use the claws to help him retrieve a memory talia stole from him
2: so this is just the b plot that was cut from the original draft of the previous episode
0: yeah lydia asks what the memory was about Peter Snidely says that if he remembered the memory, he could answer that.
2: What a
1: sarcastic bitch. But how
0: does she know that she took a memory from him? Exactly. I feel like that's why it made perfect sense for Lydia to ask that question, even though he's acting like it was a stupid question, because... He knows a memory was taken. He might know what kind of memory it was, too. She has no reason to know that that's not the case.
2: Maybe Talia told him.
0: Why would she do that? Because
1: she was a big sister who went, (laughs) na-na-na-boo-boo. I know
2: something
1: you don't. He's such an insufferable little bitch. He was like, I took something from you and you'll never know what it is.
0: (sighs) That could be, yeah.
2: Stolinski and Parrish arrive at the scene of the school bus. Parrish is a certified hazardous device technician, or HDT, from his time in the army.
1: I basically was the Hurt Locker man.
2: It's Parrish's time to shine, baby.
1: Shouldn't he have something over his face when he gets on that bus?
2: Nah, he can't cover that beautiful face.
1: Gonna cover it with, like, shrapnel.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Peter gets impatient with Lydia, even aggressive, prompting Allison to threaten him with a cattle prod.
1: Oh, I love that bit. Yeah. It's great. Lydia tells them both to stop. Both? Allison is totally justified here!
2: That doesn't stop Peter from getting his claws out and taunting Allison about her late Aunt Kate, who also used a cattle prod. It didn't do her any good, Peter says.
1: Allison retorts that maybe it's because she didn't shove it up, Peter's- Before
0: Allison can finish, Lydia screams at them to stop and throws the claws at the wall where they become embedded. Somehow this helps her focus her hearing on the claws.
1: Peter repeatedly asks her what she's hearing.
0: Shut the f*** up, she's trying to listen! I'm hearing a little bitch in my ear, Peter. It's a shrill little mosquito in the body of a grown ass man.
2: Finally, Lydia tells Peter that he's not just an uncle.
0: I'm a papa. (laughs) (laughs) At the sheriff's station, Derek becomes increasingly anxious being cuffed. He could easily get out of them, he tells Chris. The same goes for Chris,
1: actually. Yes, yes, we get it. You're both very kinky.
2: But Chris doesn't want to be a fugitive. For his part, Derek doesn't want to be a victim to a possessed 17-year-old.
1: So somewhere
0: between 3A and now, Styles had his 17th birthday and Derek is aware of it. Hmm thoughts. Hmm.
1: (laughs) Derek struggles to keep himself from breaking out of the bindings, but he finally agrees, as long as Chris understands he won't risk his life to save Chris's.
2: Oh, we know you will. Calm down.
1: You absolutely
0: will, buddy. It's cute that you think you won't. But I will say, Chris could be a little more patient with Derek. He has a long history of being chained to things against his will, and it doesn't feel nice.
2: Usually by Argens.
1: Yeah. Aww.
2: At the high school, Kira eavesdrops on her parents.
1: Ken brings out Nishiko's tales, which he's hidden inside a book on the grounds that no high schooler willingly opens a textbook. Ken with
0: the sass.
1: So much sass.
2: Ken asks how many more she'll sacrifice, given that she's already sacrificed five and three of the oni are now gone. Nishiko says she'll sacrifice them all if she has to.
1: In the draft of the previous episode, she'd said that directly to the Nogitsune, if you'll remember. I like this better.
2: Yeah, me too.
0: Nishiko breaks two more tails, saying these oni will be stronger.
1: So why did the oni get stronger?
2: Because we say they do.
1: Oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool,
2: cool. I would say maybe the tails have different strengths and powers, so she's starting at the bottom and working up to the most powerful.
0: Or the strength of the oni is based on the caliber of the sacrifice, and the fewer she has, the bigger the sacrifice.
2: Oh yeah, that's great. You should be a writer.
1: Huh. Yeah, I like that, Kate. Parrish manages to open the box. He radios out to Stalinsky that there's no bomb, but there is something in the box.
2: Someone call Brad Pitt.
1: Parrish
0: shows Stalinsky what he found. It's Stalinsky's nameplate from the sheriff's station. Stalinsky thinks back to the package he signed for earlier, mostly items to prepare for another blackout, like the one that Nogitsune caused. It occurs to Stalinsky that there might still be a bomb, just not here.
2: Stolinski calls into the station to warn them. Chris and Derek don't know about the call, but they can tell something has changed when the station erupts in chaos.
1: I don't think we need the slow-mo effect there on Chris's dialogue to Derek. I agree. Derek
0: focuses his hearing and notices a pulsating electrical sound. He has only a split second to yell, get down, push a deputy to the floor to try to protect him from the blast, and throw his body on top of Chris's before the package on Stolinski's desk explodes.
2: Leave it to Derek. If there's a sword, he will throw himself on it.
1: Rishiko and Ken stand together stoically as fireflies emerge from the Nebaton, soon to be born into Oni.
0: At the sheriff's station, Scott and Stiles arrive, and an ambulance is called.
2: Also, uh, post another ad on Craigslist. We need more deputies again.
1: (laughs) Gonna have to raise that pay again, too.
0: It would be amazing if by the end of it, being a sheriff's deputy is one of the best-paid jobs in Beacon Hills with incredible benefits.
2: That would be funny. Chris helps support Derek, who has glass and debris embedded in his back from covering Chris with his body. Chris is shocked to realize that Derek just saved his life.
1: Poor Derek. We all knew that was gonna happen.
0: Yes, be grateful. He's so great, Chris. Finally, you know how great he is.
1: Styles calls Scott over to severely wounded deputy and asks Scott can take his pain. Scott does so, easing the man's suffering before he dies from his injuries. Kira arrives and warns them that the Oni are coming. So Scott resolves to get Stiles to safety before the Oni can reach him and kill him, along with the Nikitsune inside him.
0: At the loft, Peter demands that Lydia tell him more about his child. Lydia swears she doesn't know, but Peter is convinced she's lying.
2: Tell me there are pictures of this woofle. <laughs>
1: Peter gets a little too aggressive with Lydia, so Allison zaps him with the kettle prod, and I'm pretty sure she takes a lot of enjoyment out of it.
2: What I
0: love, though, about that is how absolutely nonchalant Allison looks while she does it. The same expression you have when you pick up a fly swatter.
1: Yeah, I love this bit, but I really miss the dialogue in the original version of the scene, which was in the first draft of the previous episode, where Lydia says so she's got the upper hand now because she's been inside peter's head it was so great i know it was incredible i can't believe they took that from us
2: unsure where else to go to protect styles from the oni scott kira and styles head to the animal clinic since it at least has mountain ash barriers
1: in the car outside the loft alice and lydia compare photos of peter and malia tate his biological daughter who took that picture of peter that's his tinder picture <laughs> No, for one thing, his eyes aren't flared out. And also, it looks like he's posting for Abercrombie. Maybe he just sent this to everyone in town, like Andrew Keegan's character into The Things They Hate About You, where he's holding up headshots and the only difference is the color of his shirt.
2: <laughs> that tracks.
1: Yeah. Why didn't you guys do the eye flare thing? Did you forget?
2: I mean, we didn't forget. We only do it when the plot needs that to happen. It would have been weird in this instance if those pictures of Peter and Malia had the eye flare.
0: We don't necessarily know that applies to were coyotes. We just know it applies to werewolves. We see it in the pictures Matt took of Scott. And then we see a picture of Derek on and from his ID, which doesn't have a flare out, but which was confirmed extra canonically from a writer Q&A to be a fake. Ew. Whatever, y'all. I still want to know
1: where else he got that photo of Peter.
0: Before they can even get inside the animal clinic, a pair of Oni appear. Scott throws the keys to Styles and tells him to get inside. When Styles unlocks the door, he tries to get Kira to come inside too, but Kira stays to face the Oni with Scott.
2: I wish when Kira was throwing the pet carriers at the Oni, we heard like,
1: meow, meow. (laughs)
2: Uh, Oh, hey, look, there's Oni number three being a badass.
1: One of the Oni runs Scott through with a sword.
2: This is
0: sad. But also look
1: at his little wolf teeth. He's so cute.
2: Kira kicks the Oni away.
1: Get away from my boyfriend, you
2: bitch! Oh <laughs> wait, are are we boyfriend girlfriend? Not now, Scott. We can talk about this later. Styles, Styles, did you hear her say my boyfriend? We said not now, Scott.
0: <laughs> Styles and Kira help Scott into the clinic. Kira starts to take the sword out.
2: I have a picture of Ian Stokes in the writer's room with one of our prop guys showing how to do this. And it looks like Ian has the sword through him. I'll post it for this episode.
1: Oh, that sounds fun. But before Kira can pull the sword free, Styles grabs her and throws her to the ground.
2: Styles grabs the hilt of the sword himself.
1: Looking good, Styles. I love the way he moves and the thing he does with his fingers when he's grabbing the sword.
0: Ugh. Styles explains that Nogitsune feed on chaos, strife, and pain. He twists the sword in Scott's stomach. Between what Scott is experiencing now and the pain he took from Isaac, Coach, and the deputy, he has a lot to feed this Nogitsune with. Styles demands that Scott give the pain to him.
1: I think this is my favorite Niggins A scene. Does it look a little like an O face when he takes the pain from Scott? Maybe, but I still love it.
2: The way Styles grips Scott's face makes me think of Jack Nicholson as the Joker when he's talking to one of his henchmen and he's kind of manhandling him in a similar way to this and saying, you're my number one guy.
1: That guy identified as a goon?
2: <laughs> my bad.
1: Styles reveals that the today has been in control this whole time since Styles reappeared after being missing for two days. He's going to fool everyone.
0: Well, not everyone. Deaton comes in silently and jabs a needle into Styles's neck that knocks him out.
2: Styles is very susceptible to sneaky needles.
1: <laughs> I feel like Deaton was just waiting around in the background, being like, okay, I need a really good line to come in on. I'm going to wait until the monologue reaches a point where I can come in with a quip.
0: feta accompli.
2: There you go. Dean helps Scott get the sword out and explains that the fox is poisoned, but not yet dead. The episode ends there.
0: Another great one.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: Oh, yeah. All right, Wolfies, that wraps up the beta section for Latharia Vulpina. And now we're about to dive into spoilers, not just for this episode, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoiler free for all of the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the Alpha.
2: All that pain,
3: you took it all. Now, give it to me. You
2: really have to learn not to trust a fox all right wolfies now we're going to jump over to our interview with seth gilliam who played alan deaton on teen wolf let's have a listen seth it is wonderful to see you it has been far too long especially since it has the been show ended and uh these are my fantastic co-hosts kate and calissa
3: hi, hi. Hello, Kate. hello calissa
2: awesome awesome well let's let's jump in Uh, Seth, how did you get into acting?
3: Um, I used to do impressions when I was in junior high school and my social studies teacher got tired of me interrupting his class. So one day he marched me out of his class down to, uh, to the acting teacher's studio. And, um, I joined their class and I would go, he would, I would have to do the assignments to social studies as extra homework. But during social studies, I would go to the acting class and um, and I fell in love with it. And then uh, the two of them helped me um, prepare my audition for the High School of Performing Arts, picked out a couple of monologues for me and worked with me on them. And um, and that pretty much set me on my way.
2: Fantastic. That's such That's a fun awesome. story. Yeah. yeah.
3: That's fantastic. Yeah. Teachers I, I, rock, man. Yeah, teachers, teachers
2: they're the best. I mean, they're, they're the unsung heroes here. So uh, how did those impressions turn into fighting monsters in Beacon Hills.
3: (laughs) Um, I guess it's the idea of working with something that isn't there from a very early uh, age, letting your imagination take over and create whatever is coming back at you, whatever dialogue isn't, you know, on a page or whatever monsters um, can't be seen until the special effects crew gets in there and and does their magic.
2: Very nice. Very nice.
1: Are there any types of supernatural that you wish the show had explored more?
3: Hmm. I don't know if it's supernatural, but I, I, I've I, always been kind of caught with the idea of invisibility, the power of invisibility. Oh, okay. And, um, and, you know, what would that, what would that entail? Would that completely drain someone? Would they have to go into some crazy Zen state and burn up a lot of fuel, a lot of body fuel to turn themselves invisible and go and spy on, you know, the opposing camps and, or, or that kind of thing. Or, you know, would they, would they have to learn how to maintain invisibility for more than a six-minute span? Would they risk being visible again? And would that put them in peril? You know, those kinds of things would be interesting to me. But I don't know if that's a supernatural power or, or just some kind of science fiction thing.
2: Hey, anything can be a supernatural power. Real quick, was that six-minute time limit from uh is that a reference to that show the sci-fi show the invisible man because i think like from the 90s yes. where he could only be invisible for six minutes or so or like yeah. three minutes or something okay
3: yeah 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 awesome. he, he had
2: a time frame on it you know awesome. and, then, um,
3: and then he couldn't maintain it anymore so i remember it wasn't like that, he that, just walked around and spy on like you know what your parents really think about you or <laughs> <like that. laughs> right
2: yes yes awesome fantastic
3: so how
0: did you end up on Teen Wolf?
3: Um, the, uh, the casting director, uh, whose, whose name I'm forgetting now, he was a casting associate and casting director on it uh, out in Atlanta for the first couple of seasons of it, was actually my personal valet when I was doing a uh, made-for-TV movie um, down in Atlanta when uh, my son was first born. And, uh, my wife and son and I went down to Atlanta and we stayed in the mansion and the production, it was for the people versus Leo Frank, uh, for uh, PBS. The production assigned me cause I didn't have a car, like a personal kind of assistant. And he basically chauffeured me and my small son around and, uh, said that he was going to get into casting one day. And when he got into casting, he wanted to know if I would be interested in, uh, coming in for some of his projects. So I said, sure, I'm forgetting his name right now. It was a lovely man. And he went on to uh, cast for uh, Tyler Perry, uh, Tyler nice. Perry Studios, I'm, I'm forgetting his name. But um, anyhow, Tina Wolf was his first project. And uh, he called me up and he said he could get me an audition and that uh, Jeff Davis, who was the creator of Teen Wolf, was actually a big fan of mine from The Wire. And he was pretty sure that he could get me a meeting straight with Jeff Davis. Which nice. um uh, which he did and um and uh, then he uh, then he hired me. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. That's such
0: an interesting way for that to come about.
3: It it really was. Yeah. yeah.
0: So how did working on Teen Wolf, the series, compare to working on something like The Wire or like The Walking Dead?
3: Um Well, The Walking Dead was a very visceral, hands-on kind of set. Um, A lot of the stunts were practical stunts, meaning that you did them on the location and on the spot that they took place. If you were killing a walker or a zombie, it was usually another person dressed up, and you had to go through kind of fight choreography to do it. Um, And uh, they preferred us dirty and exhausting on The Walking Dead. (laughs) Um, so you know you were in it. You could you could smell it all around you <laughs> that you were in it. Whereas uh, Teen Wolf is a nice studio um, that they built out there in, in California for us that had a gymnasium in it. I think at Jeff's behest, um, so all of the uh, all the muscled up young men could keep their muscled up young frames. I of course <laughs> did not have to be muscled up and did not take advantage of said gym. However. <laughs> It was, uh, it was a very clean set and it was a very youthful set. There was lots of really um, energetic, youthful energy on the set of Teen Wolf that there wasn't on The Wire. The Wire was very kind of heavy um, and, um, and a, bit, uh, a, a bit of a downer in the sense that you were always dealing with very dark, heavy material. Whereas for me on Teen Wolf, I was kind of like an answer man in a sense, so I was rarely in harm's way, and when I was in harm's way, I found out that Deaton is quite capable of taking care of himself, but um, it wasn't to the extent that I was in harm's way on The Walking Dead, and The Wire was just about keeping people from the sidewalks who were watching us filming from stepping in front of the camera and interrupting our teams.
1: So you mentioned Deaton being skilled at taking care of himself. Whose idea was it for Deaton to be um, skilled at hand-to-hand combat? Did you have any input on the
3: character? Well, it's funny because um, I had just done an episode of The Walking Dead, and I went back out to California to do Teen Wolf, and I was pretty down. And uh, Jeff asked me what I was down about. And I said, you know, well, the characters hate this. I mean, the, uh, the fans hate this character. Of Father Gabriel on The Walking Dead, this is season five, uh, five and six, and it's the character. The character is hated in a way, and he's cowardly, and it's it's just it's been a bit of a drag, man. And he said, mm-hmm. "I tell you what, for every cowardly moment you have on The Walking Dead, we will give you a heroic moment on Teen Wolf." And my very oh. next episode out on Teen Wolf, I went out there and found that I was doing some kind of collapse stick that turned into nunchucks, fighting off this ninja woman in the rain you know in slow motion It's like this rocks man <laughs> this rocks so i think that's a jeff davis thing that was that was his way of um of trying to give me a little fun oh that's, yeah, really that's so cool yeah that's fantastic yeah. that's so great yeah I, oh, that's wonderful i have a great deal of love for uh for the whole team wolf experience because of that i uh I often told people at the time that um, I was going out to do Teen Wolf and the guys made me feel like I was a rock star on the set, you know, between Tyler and Dylan constantly deferring to me and listening to pretty much anything I had to say, whether it made no sense at all or not. (laughs) And, uh, and Jeff giving me heroic fight scenes after I complained about being a carrot on something that he had no control of, you know, over whatsoever. Um, and, uh, and just the, the the way they put me up and everything else. I mean, nobody was really making any money on Teen Wolf, but the energy was such that you felt like you were a rock star. I felt like I was a rock star whenever I was whenever I was called out to do the show.
2: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's just awesome. That's so great. Yeah, that is so great. So, what was it like coming back to Teen Wolf after being away for so long?
3: It was it was like you getting on a, a a bicycle that you knew how to ride you know it was it was really it was familiar it was comfortable it was great to see everybody um to see everybody thriving you know and shining in their own various different adventures uh it was really it was really kind of uh smooth
2: awesome that's fantastic
0: so there's a lot about Dr. Deaton that we only get hints about on the show. Did you ever discuss his backstory with any of the writers or other actors?
3: Um, no, Tyler always had questions that I couldn't answer. So I would just uh, defer to, uh, to Jeff in those instances. I did speak with Jeff about uh, a bit of his backstory. And I think if we had more time, we could have gone into it. Um, He had some very, some very fun, cool ideas that uh, I I don't want to give away because I don't know whether or not he plays on using them in in another capacity or something like that, you know, with another character in another show. um, Of course. uh, Sure. But, but yeah, I did. I was given some kind of backstory and uh, uh, mostly it was the Druid stuff, you know. That's awesome. We actually
1: did have a fan question related to the Druid um, storyline. Fan asked, where do you think Deaton's loyalties lie during the series? The role for Druids is presented as protecting the balance. Do you think part of the reason he was such an enigma was because he had to toe that line of maintaining the
3: balance? I think that's a possibility. I think that's a possibility. Uh, I I, I tend to look at it more as uh, uh, what... uh, what a really good teacher would do is not give you the answers, give you, you know, the planks to build the bridge to the answer yourself mm-hmm. Because when mm-hmm. you find it for yourself, you can unwrap it and know it from the inside out. And when somebody just gives it to you, you still may not understand it, you know? Um, so I, I think that led to leads to Deaton being more hands off than he could be. I think if they were his children, he would probably be more hands on. But gotcha. he's being entrusted with other people's kids. So, you know, to live a life, like, let them find their way.
1: That's a really insightful answer. Yeah. I like, that. I like yeah. that too. So it seems at the start of the film that Dean has followed Scott out of Beacon Hills. Do you think he would continue to stay by Scott's side in the future if we see any more versions of Dean Wolf?
3: I think, you know, speaking. Speaking to that that father analogy I just made with the father and the kids, I think that um, Deaton is probably concerned for Scott that he would find someone when Deaton's not around, you know, someone that he could share the rest of his life with who understands the great power and responsibility that he has along with the human being that's inside. And the person who needs uh and craves love and connection along with anybody else so i think it's kind of like you know I'm just gonna make sure my boy is i before i fly i
2: got you no that no, makes sense enough, that's yeah. great yeah. yeah
3: yeah
0: how did you go about creating that dynamic with tyler posey because i i think a lot of fans picked up on deaton becoming sort of like a father figure to Scott, especially because his father wasn't really in the picture for most of his life and being that kind of guiding force. How did you go about making that relationship come across on screen with Tyler?
3: That's mostly just listening to a lot of his ridiculousness as if you're really (laughs) interested. All right. Okay. (laughs) What is this madman blathering on about? (laughs) Only from the minds of Minolta. You have an old commercialist. What? <laughs> what are you saying? No, I, I think it's, it's uh, I, I genuinely like Tyler. I, I genuinely like him as a person. So it's easy to be around him. And I think um, when you lead with kindness to someone who is also kind-hearted, um, then we can be generous with each other to show that we care, you know? to show on screen that we care about one another, whether the dialogue is there or not, you can do it in a hug, you can do it in a look, you can do it in a shared laugh, you know? Um, so I think, uh, I think we were comfortable enough with each other in that regard, kind of from the very beginning, you know? Cause he kind of looked at me with these wide puppy eyes, like, you know, are you gonna be there for me in this scene or am I gonna be on my own? It's like, no, I'm gonna be, I'm right here with you, man. And it's like, okay. Uh, we just go from there. Awesome. Awesome.
0: Um, do you have any thoughts about Deaton's relationship with Talia or with Ms. Morell?
3: Only oh, that I wish we could have seen more. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I guess, you know, seeing, I guess, Deaton interacting with other characters in that regard... Might have given away more of him than, you know, than the crew of writers who uh, wanted to mm-hmm. in terms of like, the less, you know, the better. Right. You mm-hmm. know. Gotcha.
2: Yeah, that Thanks. makes sense. Yeah. Well, we've already mentioned The Wire a couple of times, and this isn't a question. I just wanted to say how happy I am that you got to be a part of The Wire, and then I got to meet you on Teen Wolf because uh, my dad, when I would go visit him on the weekends, he had HBO, which my mom did not, and Stop. we would watch The Wire together. And so uh, cool. I, have, I have great bonding memories with my dad watching The Wire. And then uh, when I got hired on Teen Wolf and I became the writer's assistant, I, I texted him and I was like, do you know who's on this show? that I'm now working on. And so we had a a (laughs) nice little laugh about that,
3: that after all these years, this is
2: how it worked out, so.
3: Yeah, that's very cool. I'm glad you had that shared experience with him. Thank you, thank you.
1: Do you have any fun Teen Wolf uh, fan encounters you'd like to share with us?
3: Nothing that that wouldn't, you know, get somebody a misdemeanor charge. I think um, it's probably best if I <laughs> all right. If I keep any stories I have like that to myself. Okay. All right then.
1: <laughs> fair enough.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: Fair enough.
0: Are there any characters you wish Deaton had had scenes with, or had had more scenes with?
3: Hmm. Um. I really liked. uh, uh, Oh, I'm I'm getting. I'm I'm mashing names together here. Uh, Who does Ian Bowen's uh, Ian Bowen's character? Who is Ian Bowen's character? Peter. Peter. Yes, I love Peter. I love that character. And I wish I would have had more scenes with him because there's something just intrinsically dark about him that I think would have been a challenge for Eaton to kind of unlock, you know. Yeah. But um but I but I but I love that character. So those two characters didn't really share too much screen time, you know, at all here or there. But um mostly he was waiting through other people to get, you know. Yeah. So yeah.
2: I'd say awesome. Peter. That would have been fun. That yeah, definitely I would like been to have seen more scenes. Yeah. There.
1: Is there a genre that you prefer to act in or one that you find particularly challenging?
3: I um I prefer kitchen sink dramas, you know, based in reality and real time. But I'm a big science fiction fan, so I love sci-fi. Mm-hmm. I'm not much of a horror fan, which is interesting that I found myself in the horror genre, probably because I'm so easily frightened and grossed out by things. <laughs> Horror-filled. Oh. Not um, the acting then. Yes, exactly. It's just a lot of, just turn the camera on that dude, you'll get what you need. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's fantastic. Well, speaking of of science fiction, what was it like working with uh, the Mad Dutchman Paul Verhoeven on Starship Troopers?
3: Oh, that was that was a blast. I was just talking about that. Uh, I was just talking about that with Jake Busey a little while ago. Nice. Um, the, the, yeah, the kind of fun that we had. He made us these giant potato guns mm-hmm. made it out of PVC pipe. Or is that what it's called? I think Thin so, white yeah. Pipe mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he made he made us all potato guns that launched potatoes at least 50, 60 yards. Oh, wow. And we were standing on the ridge dressed in all of our Starship troopers gear when we had like lunch and we'd go up there. And he made them for like everybody. These massive weapons, man. And like fire them off into the Badlands. It was a blast. And then we would get in front of the camera and they would have guys who have uh, all this ammo, you know, it was um, dummy rounds, of course, but this is, this is back in the days when we used like ammo, fake ammo to, uh, to blow things away. And there'd be a line of 12 of us with these modified guns that switched from AR-15, to eight, no, uh, uh, AR-6, AR-16s, like uh, assault rifles, and then shotguns on the bottom of them. And about twenty yards away, there would be men with metal poles and green tennis balls on the top of that, about ten feet high in the air, and they were the bugs. Right. And Paul Beerhoven would be in between the men with the poles and us firing with his plexiglass faceplate on, jumping around, going, <laughs> and the f- bugs are coming, and they're crazy, <laughs> and they're crazy, they're, <laughs> out to, kill you, they're <laughs> out to kill you. You have to shoot them at this. F- Head and he'd be running <laughs> back and forth doing 30 yard sprints while we we're just shooting at him <laughs> oh essentially, like all day long, all day long, just running. And, it's crazy. Ah, and, he's, coming up, and he's making bug sounds and he's clawing his hands. <laughs> oh my god, like all day long, man. This dude is insane! Insane. So it was a lot of fun.
2: That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. <That's amazing>. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs>
1: So, the next question is actually from Melissa Ponzio. She said that you have a beautiful singing voice and she heard you many times on set while shooting the film. She was wondering if you have any projects coming up um, or what what project you would be interested in by way of singing. And she hopes everyone gets the chance to hear you.
3: Wow. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, the singing on set. The singing on set is something that I do to kind of uh, ease my nerves and center myself so it's not really something I'd want to su- subject people to in a film um <laughs> but but I do love the karaoke I have to say nice. I'm all over the karaoke scene and um I, 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 I like to think that I can carry a tune when called upon but I'm not sure I don't know how to read music and I don't know how to play any musical instruments so I'll play like a blues riff on a guitar but that's it um and I don't know that I've got the discipline uh, at this point to learn an instrument unless I was specifically playing a character that had to play the guitar or whatever. Gotcha. But it's not something where I'm like, I'm going to write the buddy guy story. I'm going to play buddy guy. You know, I'm, It's not coming from me. If someone says, he said, you want to play buddy guy? you know, We're going to give you an instructor. Okay. But um, it's not something I'm actively pursuing, So I do do a little bit of strange singing in this film I did called Zombie Wedding that I think is coming out later this year.
2: Nice, yeah, yeah,
3: very nice. Sounds fun. Yeah.
0: Well, if if there's ever Teen Wolf the musical. Hopefully yeah. we can rely on you to, to yeah. lend your pipes yeah. to that.
3: Absolutely. You know, I can, maybe I can blow on a harmonica or something like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite memory from the Teen Wolf set, TV show, and movie?
3: Again, yeah, I, I do. I do have a couple of, um, of very dear memories, but I cannot share them. I cannot share them. Okay. All right. I'm that sorry. Fair I'm sorry. Enough. No, Hey, fair well, enough.
2: They're yours. Yeah. They're, they, yeah. That's all that matters. As long as they're good. That's all that matters. Yeah,
3: they are. They're good. They're detailed.
2: Fantastic. <laughs> could you see Deaton taking on a role for Eli similar to the one he had with Scott?
3: Hmm. I mean, I could, I could see that. I could see that. I think that, uh, Deaton was very fond of Derek. Mm-hmm. And we talked about, um, characters I would have, uh, wanted to work more with. I enjoyed the Derek. I guess the Derek and Peter thing are, are kind of similar in that, you know, the solutions early on are just kill them. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's like this, just kill this person. They pose a threat. They could turn into something else. Well, I'm not waiting around. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's just kill them. Um, so I think I, I I I think that because of of uh, Deaton's Spanish to Derek, that he he would definitely want to look after live, you know, until he yeah. also got his feet underneath him. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. That's fantastic.
0: Who on the Teen Wolf set, cast or crew, would make the best alpha?
3: Who would make the best alpha, cast or crew? I don't know. I'm I'm sorry, Tyler Posey, but I'm going to say Tyler Heckling. Oh. Nice. Nice. I'm going to say Tyler Heckling. I think he's been so beautiful for so long. I mean, did you see Road to Perdition when he's like 9 years old or something? Yeah. 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 He's been so beautiful for so long that he has learned to deal with people at their most embarrassing coming up to him, and he does it with kindness and generosity which I think are great leadership traits. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, because of that and his, and his drive as a person um, and, uh, and his sense of honor, I think that he would make a great alpha. I think that uh, Tyler Posey would make a great alpha, but he's still way too playful. <laughs> he's a you playful fellow, yeah. He's a playful fellow. <laughs> And you know, there are times I think where you'd be looking for some kind of leadership, and he'd be like, Dude, what are you stressing about? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Whereas heck, let it be what? What's the stress? Where are we going? What's the deal? <laughs> oh, yes, awesome.
1: What show, past or present, would be your dream to be a part of?
3: Gilligan's Island.
2: Interesting.
3: That was my favorite show growing up, Gilligan's Island. Oh. And I think, you know, you got to think about if you do Gilligan's Island today and you do it on location, that's just enough to do, you know, the show in and of itself. Some tropical paradise island, you know, 10 months out of the year. Yeah. Shooting, you know, a comedy. So it's lighthearted energy on the set. And it's, you know, as opposed to some heavy drama in like Alaska right (laughs) yes I'd rather do a light comedy in like tropical paradise
2: who wouldn't oh my god that sounds amazing so
0: how do we all help to make Gilliam's Island yes
3: (laughs) I think it starts with a strong letter campaign
1: (laughs) (laughs) nice
2: well we have a we have the Teen Wolf fandom at our back so we can we we can make this happen It'll be the next Paramount Plus show. It's gonna be great. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've uh, you already mentioned the zombie wedding project coming up. Are there any other projects that you have coming up that you can tell us about?
3: Um, I, I mean, I, I shot a couple of uh, a, a couple of other films, and I'm not sure if if I should mention what the the names of them are for for fear of jinxing them. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Oh Because there's a small independent films looking for a distribution. I mean, there's two sides of that coin is the one side where I just, you know, drop the names and promote the hell out of it and hope that that helps get a distribution, Mm -hmm. which seems to be, you know, a way that many people go. And then there's the other where I don't. I keep lighting candles and doing voodoo rituals and hope that (laughs) somehow it takes shape and form. And someone says, you know, I want to produce this film all over the world. Yeah. So right now, I got the candles. I'm a little frightened of the voodoo thing, but I can light a candle <laughs> or two. And uh, and, uh, and for right now, I'm going to keep it under wraps. But know that uh, I have at least three projects that uh, uh, hopefully will be coming out this season. This yeah, year. Fantastic. We'll, we'll keep
2: an eye out. Yeah, we yeah definitely, fingers crossed. Yes, we definitely thank all you. need more Seth Gilliam. In our lives, and uh, Seth, this has been an absolute pleasure getting to talk to you and to stroll down memory lane back to back to Beacon Hills and also Baltimore and planets with giant bug monsters on them. So, (laughs) 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 thank you so much for joining us and taking time out of your. Yeah, thank you so
3: much. We really appreciate it. You're welcome.
2: It's um, nice to meet
3: you guys. And Will, it's good (laughs) to see you again. It's
2: wonderful to see you as well. So we will let you go and get back to your vacation and we hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening sir
3: thank you thank you you guys take care Bye. Bye.
2: we had a great time talking with seth but now it's back to spoilers okay so guys way back in the day When we were breaking this season, I pitched, though we sadly never used this idea, that as Nishiko broke her tails, the Oni she created changed. They would actually look different, and by the end of it, the final Oni would look like the Nightmare Samurai from Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Throughout that film, Bruce Lee's past trauma is personified by this demon that looks like a samurai. That's what I thought they should look like at the end of this season, with full armor and everything. But Joe was like, no, what money do you think we have? We have Oni designs. That's what we're sticking with.
0: It would make sense for them to change because of Noshiko's comment that they get stronger. We don't actually get to see anything that indicates that. And they could also have new powers without having a new look.
2: That's very true. Originally, we had actually pitched that all the Oni had different weapons. Instead of all of them having swords, one might have a bow staff, another might have a bow and arrow. But sadly, that didn't happen either. Why? Uh, I do not remember. Maybe money, or maybe Jeff didn't like the idea. Who knows? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the gets wants pain so badly, he should just hang around
2: Derek all day. Right. Oh.
0: Yeah, Light. you just know something awful is gonna happen to him.
2: Yeah, just pretend your styles and start dating him. Something bad's gonna happen. <gasps> oh just hang no! Out.
0: Oh no! I mean, bad, I've read that fic, will. but no. <laughs> but I have read that fic.
2: I mean, Clovis has got a point there. His <laughs> plan is terrible. He should have just stuck around Derek, and that's it. He could, they could have just held hands all the time. He would have been constantly taking some kind of pain from past trauma or fresh trauma. Usually bodily.
1: If emotional pain counts, there's just plenty of that.
2: Yeah. So the Nogitsune is actually not very smart.
0: I I think it does count. It seems like the Nogitsune is trying to torment the characters
2: emotionally, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. he chose styles. I mean, that wasn't an accident. It was like, who can I take if it's going to cause the most heartbreak? Right. He's like, yeah, this gangly glass of water over here. That's why
0: I thought that The Nogitsune chose a vessel based on someone who's loved. Yeah. Because if you're someone that nobody really cares about, which would be very sad, you would get a lot of pain from that person probably, but you wouldn't be getting it from anyone else around them. Whereas if you take someone who's loved, everything you do just radiates out and causes pain to everyone who loves that person.
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: Poor Arden. So many of Kira's fight scenes are in the rain, except for the one later in the classroom.
0: They do look dope as f***.
2: Yes, they do.
1: They absolutely do, but also I just think that would really suck to keep filming in the rain like that. Yeah. So as I said at the beginning, there were a lot of different possible teasers thrown out, so I thought we could take turns reading them. Open with every one of our main supernatural characters collapsing, convulsing in different places around Beacon Hills. Lydia, Isaac, Scott, the twins, Derek. Only the human characters remain. Allison, Stalinsky, Argent, Melissa, Dean. Maybe Scott isn't affected, and then Styles comes back from a long night. It turns out they're all poisoned with concentrated wolfsbane. Scott wasn't poisoned because he didn't eat whatever he was meant to eat. I think
0: that's interesting because you could absolutely poison humans with wolfsbane too. Yeah. If you're putting it in food because- yeah. Well, Spain is toxic to humans when ingested also.
2: Oh, my God. Everyone getting sick except for Scott. It kind of reminds me of that bit in Parks and Rec where uh, Ron, Chris. Calzone and- betrayed me. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, the calzones, which they all get food jo- food poisoning. He's like, what? The calzones betrayed me. <laughs> I just right. watched that episode.
0: And then it's- isn't there one character who doesn't? It's
2: Tom. Get- he doesn't get oh, He's like, yeah. oh, he's like, that's weird. I ate everything y'all did. He's like, oh,
3: except the
0: calzones, those are stupid. Yeah, yeah, oh my god. That Uh, would be me, though. I feel like if if we were all eating just this, like, big mm buffet-style meal, the one person who wouldn't get sick would probably be me. I have very few, like, physical advantages in this world, but one of them is I have a stomach of iron. True story, Calissa and I one time were visiting Will, in when he was living in LA and we were at LAX and we shared a meal from lemonade. Lemonade, it was lemonade. We shared a meal from lemonade. I remember. We ate exactly the same things. Calissa was horribly sick from food poisoning. Sorry, lemonade. They'll definitely never sponsor us, but that is what it is. I did not get sick at all.
2: There you go. We
1: were supposed to be eating airport food, but then Will was late because he wouldn't be part of the Teen Wolf cast photo.
2: Well. Yeah. 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 So yeah.
1: then I spent the sacrifices had to be bathroom. made.
2: I'm sorry. has stomach. Would I do it again? Definitely. But I am still very sorry. Anyway, moving on. Or, for the teaser, we see one by one as our supernatural characters realize they've lost their powers entirely. Scott burns himself and it doesn't heal. Derek tries to change and it fails. Lydia can't hear anything at all. And it's into this status quo that Styles appears, saying he's just woken up and can't remember what he's doing. Oh, and we also see that the Oni have regenerated and are coming. Will the Supernaturals defend Styles if they don't have their powers?
0: Yes, of course.
2: Yeah.
1: That'd be really interesting to see, though.
2: Yeah, it would.
0: Kind of makes me think of that Buffy episode where she gets depowered to see what she'll do in a crisis situation if she doesn't have her
2: superpowers. And it could turn out that the Void didn't do this at all. It was Nishiko. She's weakening them so they can't help to protect Styles against the Oni.
1: See, I really like
2: that idea. Yeah, me too.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Lydia hears the sound of all her friends screaming in agony, or maybe a hissing, or the sound of a massive fire. She rushes to follow the sound, but then collapses, poisoned. Just a ringing in her ears. They have to piece together what she heard, and now she's deaf. Couple this with Stiles showing up, blood on his hands, not sure what he's done.
1: Fun stuff. Deaton is following someone in the woods, being as quiet as he can. He sees them to the Nematon. The fireflies emerge. And then, bam, Noshiko comes out of nowhere and pins it down. Don't get in my way. The Oni hover behind her. Mm. Also a the Shiko teaser, we're following Nishiko out into the woods. She goes to the Nimiton, takes out a knife and seems to chop at the air. Then reveals she has severed a real foxtail. It disintegrates into ash on the tree and fireflies emerge from the tree. More Oni. That would have been interesting, like, her actually cutting off foxtails.
2: Yeah. We have a scene with Kira having a little electrical issue. Her eyes glowing orange and her mother knocking at the door. Finally, her mother comes in and her eyes are glowing too. We need to have a talk. I remember this. This is going to be kind of like the moment from Teen Wolf, you know, from the movie where he's changing in the bathroom and uh. the dad is knocking on the door. I need to come oh. in. And then he opens the door and his dad's a werewolf too. It was going to be something like that.
0: Was all this brainstorming from before we had the scene with the light bulb? Because I know you said that originally there wasn't the moment where mm-hmm. Kira sees Noshiko's hand conducting electricity. Yeah. But I guess... Technically, we don't have Noshiko admitting to Kira up to this point that she is also a kitsune.
2: Yeah, I think this would have been the the birds and the bees kitsune talk.
0: <laughs> Styles wakes up on a packed school bus and sees there's a wrapped birthday present next to him. What to do? Call the cops? Open it? When they open it up, instead of a bomb, it contains a single stuffed doll. Or a bunch of clues.
1: Each of our main characters receives a wrapped package. They confer and think it might be bombs, but it turns out they're objects with personal significance, clues to the sabotage of their lives. Oh, I like that one. That's fun. I really want to see that.
2: Okay, hear, hear me out. This is a fresh pitch. Never been done on Teen Wolf. There's a chase through the woods. <laughs> our, werewolf, our werewolves are pursuing a supernaturally fast Styles. They finally corner him and Deaton gives him a shot of Wolfsbane. It causes him to convulse and show his silver eyes and silver fangs. And then it's real Styles there with them.
0: Oh, so in this version, the Wolfsbane causes the Nogitsune to recede and real yeah. Styles to come up to the surface. That's yeah. interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, which is what we do. It's just the lichen, you know, later. So you can kind of see how it morphed.
0: Mm-hmm. Deaton has an idea of how they can get the demon out, but it's not pretty. Trepanation. You drill a hole in the
2: skull.
1: It's funny you guys were throwing it out here, considering that it's We hold
2: on me. to that. Yeah. yeah. No, no, we we remembered stuff. We came back to that trepanation with Dr. What's-His-Face from Eichen House that we watched in that Balotric. bad Hellraiser. There it is. Balak. Balak, and we watched in that bad Hellraiser movie.
0: There's an object, trepanation drill, that could take out the Nogitsune. They go to find it with the Mexican hunters. Get it, but then the void breaks it. Guess you're stuck with me now.
1: I like the idea of him to like kind of shrug up hands, me like guess you're stuck with me now, bitches.
3: Yeah,
0: I love that moment later where Melissa says, "Styles, this isn't you," and he says,
1: "It is now." Oh,
2: yeah, it's a good one. That's Chills. a good line.
1: The group decides to go to a beach house that Stiles is urging as he thinks his power comes from electricity and there's no electricity here in this rustic place. But then they only emerge from the ocean or they go to a lake house and they only emerge from the lake.
0: Oh, that's cool, too.
2: Yeah.
1: Again, lake house comes up later. It does. We start the episode at a beach house or cabin. It's Scott, Stiles and Derek, and they've been here there for a week. Ooh, definitely would like to see that. Stiles swears he hasn't felt anything the whole time. It must be dormant now. It must be that he's not near electricity, and then the oni emerge from the sand. I just want to see Styles and they're gonna lake house for a week.
2: That would be good.
1: Scott could go home.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. We'll take it from here. If we went with a natural gas leak, could set it up to look like he's planning to ignite the gas and cause an explosion. But really, he's left clues and he's luring our heroes down there where they will be poisoned, weakened, drugged by the gas as below, putting them in Bardo.
0: Oh, I would have loved to see Bardo. That would have been so interesting.
2: Yeah.
1: So that was all the teasers. The other thing on the stock was, what is the Nagitsune's master plan? What does it want? Which I you know Teen Wolf was big on. What do, do characters want? Mm-hmm. So to get strong enough to kill Noshiko and her daughter Kira? Question mark, Which requires chaos and violence, beating off others in Bardo then it will go out in the world and they'll never be able to rein it in, question
2: mark. Or the Nagitsune wants to finish what it started. It was born into the world with a task and it wants to finish it. Its task was to kill everyone in the valley, in quotes, or whatever Nishiko asked. And now Beacon Hills has spread into this valley and it wants to kill all those people. In order to do this, it must eliminate those who might stop it and grow stronger.
0: Or maybe it wants to be fully corporeal we have the split and then it has to be strong enough powerful enough that styles the real styles disappears this is the void's goal all
2: right yeah those were all, those were fun
0: yeah it's really cool hearing what all the different story ideas were when it was still in its ideation phase
2: yeah you got to throw a lot of stuff at the wall to see what sticks and then coalesces into an actual story for an episode but the blue sky period always the most fun because that's when literally anything is on the table like there are no bad ideas you just i don't know this would be cool can we make it work you know and then you just look over at joe and he's just shaking his head no too much money <laughs> try again so that's exactly how joe sounds <laughs> you've heard him on the podcast he sounded just like that he did not. Uh, <laughs> All right, Wolfies. That concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. Join us here next week when we discuss Season 3, Episode 20, Echo House. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews, get a shout-out. Have a great weekend. We'll see you again soon on return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's Beacon Hills.